All right. And good morning, family. It, uh, I don't know what's more strange, talking to an empty room or talking to a computer, but uh, I'm looking forward to next week when we uh, will be back together studying. We are continuing our study of John, the book of John. This will be our second uh, lesson for that. And we are going to be finishing up chapter 1. <clears throat> uh, we're going to pick up where we left off in verse 15, and we're going to be reading verses 15 through 18. And so if you have your Bibles, open up to the Gospel of John, and then we're going to be reading verses 15 through 18. And it reads out, John bore witness of him and crying out, saying that this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received grace for grace, or grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. So there's a lot that we're going to see in this section here, so we're going to take a while and get into it. But at this point, we are continuing uh, with John the Baptist's witness, uh, testimony of Jesus. And although Jesus, uh, like we talked about before, he was uh, not yet mentioned, had been alluded to in the previous chapters, and it isn't mentioned until verse 16. We see here the emphasis on how Jesus is, he's unique. There's none other like him. It reminds us a lot, it reminds me a lot about Hebrews, uh, talking about how Jesus is greater than uh, all the things that came before him, uh, since he was there from the beginning. And again, Hebrews compares Jesus to all the Old Testament aspects and talks about how great, how much greater he is than all those things. We also see here that God's grace is, uh, it's never ending. We receive grace upon grace, or grace for grace. When one blessing from God, uh, comes and it starts to, uh, fade away, um, we continue to get more and more blessings. And that is, uh, something that can be seen in His Son, Jesus. Something that we see through there. Something to also remember is that there was grace uh, in the Old Testament, but it was insufficient, right? It was insufficient to save mankind from his sin. Um, And it was also there to prepare uh, the way for that complete salvation, that sufficient um, sacrifice, that complete sacrifice, that sufficient sacrifice. We also see that uh, in this section that his son has seen God's full glory. Uh, something that has not been done by anyone that has lived, nor had been done since. And he spoke with authority about him. I want to back up a little bit uh, to uh, that aspect that no one has seen God at any time. We know that Moses... Uh, saw some amazing things, and he was he had a very intimate relationship with God. And I want to look at that briefly, uh, so that way we're all on the same page and we all have that same understanding. And to do that, we need to turn back to Exodus. And we're going back to Exodus chapter 24. 
In Exodus chapter 24, I first want to read verses 1 through 2. Now he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you, Aaron, Nahab, and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. And Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people go up with him. And now I'd like to uh, also go down to verse 9 through 11 and also 16. Then Moses went up, also Aaron, Nadab, Nadab, excuse me, and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet as if it were paved, a paved work of sapphire stone. And it was like the very heavens in its clarity. But on the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hand. So they saw God, and they ate, and they drank. And then also verse 16. Now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it in six days. And on the seventh day he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. And the sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. Wow, I, that that interaction, that that uh, that incident that happened, uh, was pretty pretty powerful. They got to see God, and they didn't die like like they expected to. It says he didn't lay his hand on them, and uh, we see that that there's that that understanding that looking upon God meant death. Um, we see that at Moses at the burning bush in Exodus three. Verse five. He turns his face away um, from the bush because he was scared. He hid his face uh, to look at God because he didn't want to die. So they had that understanding that it resulted looking upon God's glory resulted in instant death. So this is an interesting incident because we see that they they said that they got to look at God. Uh, it also. When you look at this, it reminds us of other people that have had visions of heaven and visions of of uh, God in heaven. And uh, <clears throat> keeping, well, let's go ahead and re- keeping these scriptures in mind that we had just read, I want to also look at a couple of different passages that also have to do with, uh, with this. Now, just flip over to uh, Exodus. We're still in Exodus chapter 33. It's me, verse 7 through 8, uh, 7 through 11. It said, Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord uh, went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside of the camp. So it was whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle that all the people rose, each man stood at his tent door, and watch Moses until he had gone uh, into the tabernacle. And it came to pass, when Moses entered the tabernacle, that a pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord talked with Moses. All the people saw the pillar of the cloud standing at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose and worshipped, each man in his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face. As a man speaks with his friend. 
And he would not return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. So uh, often throughout the Old Testament, we see the glory of God being concealed by a cloud, and we've seen that a couple times already here. Um, like the cloud that led them out of Egypt, uh, the cloud that, uh, again, descended on the Mount Sinai, and the one that we read here about the one that covered the tabernacle. Here in the tabernacle, Moses had the opportunity to talk to God face to face and spoke plain with him like a friend, like a man does with his friend. Moses goes on to talk with God uh, in this section about his concerns um, with his concerns about himself, the Israelite people, the Israelite as a people, as God's people. And God grants him proof of uh, his promises to Moses. Now Moses is about to ask something of God, though, that um, he, he concedes to some, but he doesn't, or he allows some, but he doesn't fully allow. And we'll see why here in a minute. So we'll read verses uh, 18 through 23 in the same chapter. Still in chapter 33. Moses, and Moses is talking here, and he said, Please show me your glory. Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, uh, Here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So, um, Moses, we see, had not seen God completely. He had a very intimate relationship, and that's what that saying is, talking to him face-to-face. It means he had that, that ability to talk with him freely, and, uh, but that doesn't mean that he saw his glory, his, his entire glory, like we've just seen, because there's no way that God would contradict himself in just a few passages. No way that even a human would do that, uh, I would think, but especially God with his inspiration. So we have to keep that in mind when we're reading this. He had, uh, again, Moses had such an intimate relationship that we see in the next chapter, chapter 34, 29 through 35, that uh, God's glory actually made Moses' face shine, right? And so much so that it scared the people around him, and he had to uh, wear a a head covering just so that they could talk to him and not be afraid. And we see why, plainly, uh, Moses is not able to see God's complete glory. He tells us in verse 20 that he can't see him and live. So we see that mankind does not have the ability to see the full glory of God and not go into the next life. I'm sure there are multiple reasons for that, just like everything that God does has multiple layers. Um, But he does not tell us specifically why. I have some theories of of my own, uh, but he doesn't tell us in the scripture. 
So we just have to go by what we're, what we're being told about that. And that ends uh, back to John. Back to John, uh, verse 18 there. That section that we just finished, 1 through 18, that ends that introduction section of John uh, with, that sta- with the statement that um, though you cannot see God, that though no man has seen God, the best way to see God is through his Son. The Son that's seen him, the Son that was with him, he has declared him. And that leads us on to uh, John 19, verse... Uh, Chapter nineteen, chapter one, verse nineteen through twenty-three. <clears throat> so let's go ahead and get back in. We'll read that. Now, this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, "Who are you?" He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, "I am not the Christ." And they asked him, "What then? Are you Elijah?" He said, "I am not." Are you the prophet? He answered, "No." Then they said to him, Who are you that we may give an answer to those who had sent us? What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, Make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said. I'm going to stop there. And now we're going back to John the Baptist's witness account of Jesus. And he's expanding upon it with more details. You go back to Matthew chapter, Matthew's account in chapter 3, we read about how all the people in Jerusalem, uh, all the people in uh, all of Judea, along with uh, the region around the Jordan River, um, they all went out to hear John the Baptist, and they were being baptized by him. And you can see here how John was completing that picture, <laughs> giving us that different perspective on those accounts. And it's, it's, uh, also shows us another import, the importance of um, knowing Scripture and seeing how important the Bible is as a whole when you put it all together, how it paints that, that picture, that complete picture. But because of all the attention that John was getting, uh, the Jewish leaders were curious about it. They went out to see what he was saying and what he was talking about, making sure he wasn't drawing people away from Judaism because <clears throat> he's baptizing them. Uh, and making sure that he's not baptizing them in something different than what they believe. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who mostly made up the uh, Sanhedrin, came out to see him and, and who he was and by what authority he was doing that, those things. They knew he was someone special. Uh, they knew that there was you know, something unique about him, but they didn't know who it was. They didn't know who he was claiming to be or by what authority he was, at, he was saying to do those things. And they were, they were, <clears throat> they had been, cognizant for a while about the, the potential of the Messiah coming. We see that with the Magi seeing signs of Jesus' birth and so they've been keeping an eye out I would imagine uh, for a while about that. And they, they know the prophecies uh, prophecies about Elijah and the Messiah and the prophet. <clears throat> so uh, since he had denied being the Messiah uh, again, they went through the prophecies. Elijah. That goes back to uh, Malachi, uh, chapter four. Let's go ahead and turn over there to see that prophecy. And it's it's ironic because uh, it's at the very end of 
you know, the Old Testament on how it was, how, how it was set up. And in uh, Malachi chapter 4, verse 4 through 6, we see um, what it says here. It says, Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and the judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Let's go and turn back to, uh, to John here. Uh, we see the Jews, they expected a physical return of Elijah, which... Um, he confirmed he correctly he confirmed correctly that he was not, although he was fulfilling the prophecy uh, in a figurative way, which uh, was explained to Zacharias, his father, by the angel Gabriel. And let's look in Luke about that account. In Luke chapter one, verse thirteen through seventeen. And in Luke chapter 1, verse 13 through 17, it reads, The angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness and will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn their hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So again, Gabriel was sent to foretell um, Zacharias about his son, John the Baptist, and so we see here that John was to go in the spirit and power of Elijah. Uh, that's something that Jesus also confirms in Matthew. You turn over to Matthew. Um, and this was in Matthew chapter 17. Uh, Jesus is going, he, uh, this is an incident where he was transfigured on the mountaintop. And in Matthew chapter 17, we'll read verses uh, 1 through 13. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, again, John, the author of this book, uh, led them up to a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, just like Moses, like we just read, and his clothes became white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here, if you wish. Let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces, and they were greatly afraid. 
But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, do not be afraid. And when they lifted their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, oh, excuse me, I jumped here. Now, as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has already come. And they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. They, uh, they didn't understand at that point. They, they just saw Elijah, but Elijah was supposed to come before Jesus. And so they were trying to figure that out, and Jesus clarified that for them. Uh, he also told the multitudes uh, this, that were following him earlier in Matthew... Uh, a similar message, and that's Matthew chapter 11. And in Matthew chapter 11, it's verse uh, 13 through 15. Well, it, it, you have to obviously read the whole section to understand that he's talking about John the Baptist uh, earlier. You can see that in 11 and on. But um, it says, For all the prophets... And the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears, let him hear. So again, he's confirming that, that fact that John was figuratively Elijah in the way that he was, um, he was teaching them. And we see that since he was preaching in the same way that Elijah preached, judgment and redemption, just like Elijah did. So the next question, back to John, that he received, uh, are you the prophet? Which he answered, he answered no also. Now the prophecy is from Moses back in, that we read back in Deuteronomy. And just flipping back there real fast, it's Deuteronomy chapter 18. We'll read that prophecy also. And then chapter 18, verse uh, 5 and uh, sorry, fifteen and eighteen <clears throat> reads: The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear according to all that you desired from the Lord your God in Horeb, in the day of the assembly, saying, "Let no one bear witness." Uh, sorry, let let not one hear. Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire anymore lest I die. And jumping back down to 18. Uh, sorry, 17. We'll continue on. And the Lord said to me, what they have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he will speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he spoke in my name, will require of him. <clears throat> So we see here that uh, there's a prophecy that Moses is giving about the coming of a prophet. Um, there were many that could have filled that role of the, of the prophet. You know, it doesn't say many prophets, which there were. It says the prophet. And so that, um, 
there was an understanding that that was something that they should be looking out for during the time of the Messiah. And again, that's what, the reason why they were asking that question of him. Yet again, another misconception by the Jews thinking that the prophet was not the same as the Messiah. Some, uh, some even of Islam, of the Islam faith, point to this verse in the New Testament saying that that prophet that's been, speak, that's been spoken of is or was Muhammad. Uh, obviously, there are so many other more contradictions and issues with uh, Christianity being associated with Islam um, other than that. But in Acts, we see Peter and Stephen say that the prophet was Jesus, the Messiah. And you see that in Acts chapter 3, verse 22 through 26, uh, where uh, Peter's saying that. And then in chapter 7, verse 37, where Stephen is confirming that, that, again, Jesus was that prophet. The Messiah was that prophet. So back in John, I'm pretty sure that's all the jumping around we'll be doing for right now. We'll be back in John. The They didn't, still didn't know who he was. Okay, he answered these questions, but he wasn't who who we think he might be. And so he gave them an answer. They were still asking about who he was. And he gave them an answer in which every gospel, every one of the gospels attributed that prophecy to him and to him fulfilling that prophecy. And that's back in Isaiah uh, 40, verse 3. So John's saying that he's just a voice. He's just a voice, not a distinct person that they should be focusing on. He's there for the main purpose of making straight the way of the Lord. And the image here is that he's, he's clearing trees. He's uh, leveling the ground. He's uh, backfilling land. Uh, he's carving out parts of mountains. He's straightening the road and paving the way uh, of the Lord so that the people will have access to the king and the king will have access to his people. And, and he's doing that by preparing them for him. And that moves us over to uh, John, verses 24 through 28. And here we read, John answered them, saying, I baptize with water. Excuse me, back up here. Uh, now, those who were sent from the Pharisees, they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize? If you are not the Christ, you're not Elijah, nor the prophet. John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there one there, uh, but there stands one among you whom you do not even know. It is he who is coming after me, uh, is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. And these things were done in Bethbara or Bethany, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. So it's an interesting question they asked about him about his authority to baptize. Um, at that time, there were ritual washings that were part of the Old Testament, along with the baptizing of proselytes. Uh, but that was typically, the, they typically baptized themselves. Uh, with John doing the baptizing, especially of the Jewish people, you know, God's chosen people uh, who, uh, who were being told they needed to be, be washed, uh, they needed repentance, uh, when according to the law they didn't, um, of course the, of course the Jews are going to come out there and, and question him about that, um, his authority. But 
he, he tells him, my authority is by God and the Messiah, whom he was serving and pointing the people to and who was coming soon. That leads us down to uh, 29 verse 34. Now we're, we're having a gap here. Uh, again, John's jumping over things that have already been talked about heavily before, and that's Jesus' baptism uh, through that, that section that we're about to read. Um, Jesus had already been through the 40 days of fasting and being tempted in the desert and then ministered to by angels to recover. And um, he had come to John to be baptized. And even though he didn't need to repent, which John identified, and we read that in other accounts, uh, but again, Jesus was being obedient to the Father. So let's go and read verses 29 through 34. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he whom I've said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me. For he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. So, Jesus has already been baptized. John is is revealed to John, excuse me, who the Messiah is. He already knew Jesus. Um, he already knew who he was. He was cousins with him. Uh, so he already knew about him. He knew that he was someone special later on, but he didn't know he was the Messiah until after he was baptized. He even had people asking about him. But uh, this statement that he gives after seeing him, after he's been baptized, is, is a pretty profound statement. And it's a pretty important statement. He... Uh, he exclaims uh, to all the people. Like, for, first of all, all the people around him knew about the, the lambs, the sacrificing of lambs, the purpose of it. And he tells them right away, right out the gate, uh, that this person, he's going to do away with all sins with his sacrifice. A pretty profound statement. M- made it right off the bat. I find it perfect... Um, the order that uh, John was older than Jesus, just so there was no confusion about what he was saying about Jesus coming first. So that leads us to verse 35 through 42. It says, Then the next day, John stood with two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus... As he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples who were with him, they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following him, said, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, which translated teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. And that's an assumption that uh, it's the Jewish, the Jewish uh, essentially timekeeping, so it's 4 p.m. 
One of the two who had heard him, who had heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon, and he said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, or sorry, you are Simon the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, or Peter, which translated means a stone. So John the Baptist, uh, with two of his disciples, and he identifies to the disciples um, you know, the Son of God again, like he did before. Now, um, here we see that one was identified as Andrew. Um, like not Sorry, not Andrew. One was identified, and the other wasn't. And it's... Um, Assume that the one that was not identified is John, again, the author of this book. And it's funny because uh, he doesn't really identify himself in his, in his accounts, which is why uh, that's thought here. But they, uh, they immediately, both of them, imme- immediately followed him. And the following that you see is not a trailing behind or, or just, you know, fo- following after. It's, it's the, the idea of a discipleship. They, they were following John. They were discipling John. <clears throat> John identified the Son of Man, so they said, we're going to disciple him now. And that's why they come up calling him teacher. And they immediately follow him, immediately, right off the bat. And they did that not because of John's exclamation, but also because they saw him, you know, what they saw of him. And they had that hunger to serve God, and the hunger that was only be able to be satiated through Jesus. So they went and spent time with Jesus, and that's why they asked where uh, he was staying, so they could spend some time with him, not just so they can come see his house. <clears throat> so here Andrew uh, is the other person that we see here that ends up being an apostle. Uh, and he's an interesting person since he, there's not a lot said about Andrew, um, although he's one of the first disciples and apostles. So the little we do read about him, it seems that he's a pretty strong follower of God. Um, he was already following John, and uh, again, he picked up and he discipled Jesus as soon as he realized that that was an important person from, from God. And not only that, but uh, that same day, he ran to his brother and uh, told him the good news. He spread that the gospel, essentially. Um, well, not the gospel yet, because that hasn't fully happened, but he told him the good news about the Messiah. And he also declared from the beginning that Jesus was the Messiah, uh, something that his brother Peter you know, did and something that um, was accounted to him as being something great. And uh, but obviously Peter did add that he was the Son of God, but still that's something uh, that Andrew, Peter's brother, claimed right from the get-go. Uh, we um, <clears throat> we also read later on, we will read later on here in chapter 12, verse 20 through 22, that some Greek proselytes were coming to sp- spend time with Jesus, to look to, for Jesus. And they had approached Philip, who then went to Andrew to uh, ask him about it. And so and the two of them, Andrew and Philip, brought the proselytes, the Greek proselytes, to uh, Jesus to talk to him. You also may not have heard about, may, may not have heard about a book called Acts of Andrew. If you've heard of it, um, you might wonder why it's not in the Bible. It's because it's, um, 
while it's supposed to be about Andrew, the apostle, um, there's little to no evidence uh, that is actual factual, and none of it's mentioned in other writings. It doesn't meet any of the qualifications for being canonized. Um, not only that, but it doesn't help that it mirrors uh, Homer's Odyssey in its composition, essentially Christianizing uh, the Odyssey. So, at the end of here, going back to here, at the end of here, we have the renaming of Simon to Peter. And again, uh, the Peter is the Greek, and Cephas is the Hebrew, uh, which they both mean a stone. And that leads us to verse 43 through 50, and that will finish off chapter 1. <clears throat> reads, The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city that Andrew, uh, of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said, Come and see. So Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him and said, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, Hereafter you shall see the heavens open and the angels of God descending and descending upon the Son of Man. It's uh, interesting how this goes day by day. And we see that <clears throat> the next day, Jesus actually went out and sought Philip. He was looking for him. And he found him. And Philip, in turn, went and got Nathaniel. And Nathaniel, who is uh, thought to be Bartholomew, <clears throat> since he's paired with Philip, and Nathaniel is not mentioned in the other Gospels, while uh, Bartholomew is not mentioned in this one. Uh, and, of course, they had multiple names back then. Uh, so Nathaniel's response is, is obviously interesting because uh, it shows contempt for the people of Nazareth. And while, granted, the prophecies did not say the Messiah would come out of Nazareth, um, it was perfect since the Messiah did come out of uh, Nazareth, the last place that was to be expected. It's like Jesus um, did everything to make sure that people didn't know that he was the Messiah initially. He fulfilled all the, all the prophecies but he he was not coming, uh, you know, in that physical physical aspect of of building a physical kingdom. He uh, was lowest of the low at his birth, um, the place where he was born, his status, all these things. He was the underdog in just about every way, and he turned out to be the Messiah that fulfilled all those prophecies. So it was perfect in that in that regard. <clears throat> and. Uh, the only thing Philip could respond was, just come and see. You have to come and see for yourself. Um, don't go by just your assumption about the people of Nazareth. And then we see here Jesus' greeting was unique and appears to be genuine, especially because it was, it was true. It seems to be true. And uh, not only that, but with how Nathaniel took it. He didn't take it as an insult. He took it as, well, this guy, this guy knows me. So um, here Jesus shows his miraculous knowledge uh, saying that he knew Nathaniel before Philip told him about 
told, told him about Jesus when he was under the fig tree. Uh, he was saying he knew his heart. And, that, and knowing somebody's heart is only something that God knows. So I know that would have piqued my interest. And we can see here that it definitely did Nathaniel. And that miracle that Nathaniel witnessed would be nothing compared to uh, what he was going to witness during the rest of Jesus' ministry. Uh, here he associates Jacob's vision with that of, uh, that they're going to be witnesses of. Uh, that there's going to be a lot of communication between heaven and earth, and Jesus is going to be that link or that mediator between them both. Um, that closes out the first chapter of John. I want to thank you guys for being here with me and uh, studying God's Word. Thank you, and uh, may God bless.